Hello and welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Unshop.net. In this week's podcast, I'm sticking with the theme of special educational needs and I'm pondering further on the role of NEPS, the National Educational Psychology Service in Ireland. Um, I'll be focusing, as always, on primary schools rather than any other sector and we'll find out what NEPS is all about and delve a little deeper into last week's podcast to see what the world would look like if NEPS ruled the system. But before all that, here is this week's news. No sooner had last week's podcast been published, two stories in the news broke about special schools. Uh, The first was a special school in Islandbridge, who after a year of being promised therapies for the students who have uh, severe and profound needs, they still don't have any of those resources that were promised. Um, Again, another story of a school having to go through the media to embarrass the government to action. However, the big story regarding special education needs was in the Irish Independent. Uh, The title of the headline was New School Scheme to Deliver Better Supports to Pupils with Additional Needs to be Trialled from September. It basically is going to give an allocation of SNAs based on similar data uh, as to how schools get their SET allocation, that's their special education teacher allocation, uh, and in other words, basically nowhere near enough. Um, The article actually goes on to say, The pilot scheme will involve in-school access to speech and language therapists, occupational therapists and behaviour support practitioners on a regional basis. The new school inclusion model also includes a school nursing service for children with complex medical needs. The rollout of the scheme will see a front-loading, I don't like the sound of that word, of SNA allocations to schools based on a school's profile, breaking the link with the need for a diagnosis to argue for support. I don't like the language there. Um... All that sounds really, I suppose, it all sounds decent, I suppose, those services, except it's extremely unlikely that this service actually work. If we just look at that school in Islandbridge, a year has gone by and still they've received no service. I guess uh, we're probably going to come back to this in a podcast, uh, maybe in a couple of years time if I'm still doing this, uh, once it gets rolled out, just to see if it has worked. And from my own experience um, of watching pilot programmes uh, actually take place in education, they tend to do the pilot project quite well um, and resource it properly. We can, uh, I mean, we can refer to Drihid and things like that before where they resource them well. But actually when it rolled out uh, to um, the, the, the rest of the schools, it has a, a much diminished version of it. And the size and the groans and everything on actually, this is one of the most popular stories in our Facebook page on Shaw.net, uh, Facebook page. Um, and uh, pretty much the amount of eye roll emojis uh, that came after it was quite telling. Anyway, away from uh, special educational needs, we'll come back to it at some point. Uh, the Department of Education is now suing Western buildings over their work, um, where they, the Western buildings, for those you don't know, uh, built a number of uh, Department of Education schools over the last uh, decade. Uh, many of which are uh, surrounded in scaffolding at the moment. Uh, but basically now the Department of Education is suing them over the building uh, schools. Uh, I'm kind of puzzled by uh, how they actually have a case. Uh, and the main reason I have, I'm, I'm currently in a, in a, in a school, a uh, new school. I went through a new school, uh, not Western buildings, uh, mind you. Um, it's because when, when these companies build schools, the Department of Education actually hire an independent consultant who actually acts on behalf of the Department of Education to make sure that the buildings are actually up to scratch. And um, effectively, that's their job. Their job is to 
is to police what the what the construction community and they have to sign off now when my school was built there is this uh, there is this guy around and he was around a good bit from the department of education and he would point out all the problems and set targets for them to be fixed so the company had to fix the problems that he set even if they didn't particularly agree with them and his job was to make sure that they followed the the, the actual um I suppose contract that they had put forward and this guy uh, the guy I had just as a matter of interest was replaced somewhere near the end and his replacement basically signed off on the building works uh, so basically whether it's right or wrong whether they did a good job or not whether whether the western buildings did a good job or not it's actually not the builders fault they'll that, that company will do what they can get away with I can imagine I mean they've put in a tender um, they're basically going to try to save as much money as they possibly can and, um, and and why are they doing that why are they trying to save as much money as they can because when it actually comes to the tendering process no matter how good a company might be no matter how good the rep- uh, reputation no matter how well they've built other things the cheapest price always wins so the companies are going to come in with the lowest possible offer and uh, basically I mean I suppose the adage pay cheap pay twice seems to be true here but I don't think the department have a case uh, speaking of of school buildings, the Department of Education are now uh, looking to modernise a number of old school buildings to make them energy efficient, uh, and they'll they'll actually likely spend several million euro on this project, and then uh, basically hand the buildings back to the church. <sighs> anyway, Minister for Education is um, on a mission. He's going to the United Arab Emirates on a junket. I, I sorry, I mean um, he'll be heading over to talk to teachers uh, who have who have moved out there and to try and bring them home. I mean, that's a very nice thing to do because these teachers, you know, how selfish of them going off to the uh, to United Arab Emirates for a job. Um, I mean, yes, actually, you know, for you know, really rather than actually paying teachers equally um, to their colleagues and rather than actually setting up sort of paid substitute panels and rather than doing anything at all in Ireland to actually attract teachers to stay in this country he's actually going to go over there and schmooze them with meaningless words uh, without actually offering anything at all it's going to be like oh come on lads pull on the green jersey or something i i don't know much pretty much like how he schmoozed the principals at the uh, last ippn conference uh I, th- I think maybe his his standing ovation from the principals might have gone to his head and i, I hope they'll uh, make it perfectly clear i hope the teachers over in the united Emirates, dubai and all the other places in the middle east um i hope they make it perfectly clear why they're over there and uh, and really give them a, a sense of i don't think uh the vast majority of them uh, want to be over there and i'd say they'd rather have their job in ireland and be closer to their home and to their families rt revealed this week um that children from traveler backgrounds are getting lost in the education system Kel surprise uh i'd act i actually thought when i uh, was looking at this there was no mention of the fact that the uh, resource teacher for travelers post was cut about a decade ago um however it was squeezed in there in the article it does say it was an 87 percent cut and i actually thought it was an 100 percent cut uh, i actually wonder what schools actually have a resource teacher for travelers um it might be interesting uh, for them to comment if they could um but um you know Again, it's no surprise to me that uh, children from traveller backgrounds are getting lost in the system when the one support they had was uh, completely uh, cut to pieces. Um, the Journal is one of my favourite, I suppose, online uh, newspapers, for want of a better word. I love how they find stories that are achingly and clickbaitedly emotive. And they've gone with a story about vaccinations in schools. Of course they have. Should we allow kids into schools if they aren't vaccinated? Now, whatever I think about it, um, it's it's just a, it's just a nonsensical suggestion. The Department of Education can't and have no plans whatsoever to impose a ban, nor could they. Um, and all this does is stoke the fat flames of these of this really 
odd debate that is kind of kind of a modern day debate. Um, I mean, if the internet's done nothing else, um, it's really managed to redefine the word truth. There's so many versions of it out there now. Uh, we only have to look at some of the social media campaigns of recent times to see how truth doesn't really seem to matter anymore. And um, now we're having debates about um, vaccinations. We're having debates um, about religion um, in schools and, and, and what will happen if, uh, if religion is removed from schools, which is exactly where my next news story is going to my favourite thing um, about uh, schools and religion. And apparently two Dublin schools, this is just in today, have told parents that if they divest away from the Catholic Church, it's going to be the end of Christmas. Yes, all the newspapers jump on a story involving schools and religion. And my favourite headline of all was in the Irish Times the, uh, the, with the fantastic headline, Removing schools, Catholic ethos would have Brexit-style disaster, parents told. Wow, I, I just think it's a wonderful uh, headline. So basically, if uh, schools change their ethos from Catholic to a different model, whether that's um, Educate Together's model or whether that's the Community National School model or some other model, it will be like a Brexit-style disaster. It will be the end of Christmas. They're actually saying that sh children will no longer be able to celebrate Christmas. So much so that Educate Together had to come out with a, uh, with a statement uh, this evening. Basically, I suppose, saying exactly how Educate Together schools uh, do celebrate Christmas as well as other festivals. Um, I'll be talking this uh, topic anyway in next week's podcast. Um, so... Um, I'll cover the stories in more detail because I think it's actually a really, really good point. Uh, and, and the articles actually uh, go into lots of detail about what parents are told. Uh, so I'm going to actually uphold commenting any further on, on the lies and the scaremongering and uh, actually the unethical behaviour. I'm commenting, aren't I, from these schools anyway. But uh, sure, another than that, so much anyway for them being so inclusive. Anyway, finally, and this is not related to primary education, um, but I suppose in some ways the whole education system moves to this thing called the Leaving Cert. Um, some committee thinks that people from disadvantaged uh, backgrounds should get automatically higher points in the Leaving Cert to make up for the fact that they live in a disadvantaged area. Now, this would help those students to get into third level more easily. Um, and that's the argument, really. I, 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 I simply I just can't understand why people keep messing around with the leaving sort of like kind of toying about with with the points and moving them up, moving them down um, uh, instead of actually and actually instead of tackling the actual leaving cert itself. I mean, you've got these mad things like Protestants are allowed to get more than 90, 90 points less in their leaving cert to get into teacher training colleges in, in, in some college. People who go to Gwell school get bonus points for using Gwell in their leaving cert. And now people from disadvantaged areas are going to get more points in the leaving cert because of where they live. I mean, really, surely the answer is actually to dump the leaving cert. I mean, it's finally, I mean, everyone knows it's, it's, it's actually a, a particularly terrible um way to assess people's learning and get get the colleges to to do a bit of work um on on how students get into college anyway it's away from primary education and i think i'll leave this week's news uh with that Thanks as always for the many messages uh, from last week's podcast. Um, just so you know, you can always comment on anything you hear on onshaw.net on any of our social media channels. That's on Facebook, on Twitter, um, and uh, also directly on the onshaw.net website, uh, onshaw.net. Um, I'm always grateful for any reviews you might give for the podcast. So please, please do consider uh, reviewing, or sorry, uh, yeah, reviewing uh, our podcast um, on any of your podcasting platforms, whether that's Spotify, iTunes, um, 
I use Castbox, uh, the app on, on Android, uh, as my as what I listen to my podcasts on. And do please consider subscribing to our podcast so every new episode will be available to you immediately after its release. I release them um, at least by every Wednesday morning, so they're ready for you on your drive to school uh, to b- make your blood boil. Uh, whether you agree or disagree with me. Um, just on last week's podcast was about scrapping the NCSE. I got some uh, lovely feedback and uh, some terrible, terrible cow puns. Um, so bad that I don't think I'll, they're wor- worth repeating. You'll have to go onto the uh, Facebook page to see what I mean. This week's uh, podcast is, if I were the Minister for Education, I would increase the resourcing of NEPS. The National Educational Psychological Service, uh, NEPS, is probably one of the most paradoxical to me. Um, It's completely undervalued and completely under-resourced by the Department of Education, but it provides actually one of the most important services for schools lucky enough to be able to get a hold of them. Um, Just a little bit of background I think is important just around what NEPS is before I get into my argument of what we need to do or what I think we need to do uh, to um, ensure that the NEPS service uh, is optimised as best as possible. Um, NEPS is about 20 years old. It was uh, born around, two th- uh, I think about two, was 1999. And it's an agency of the Department of Education and Science. And NEPS do have a mission, which is uh, always useful for any um, organisation. It is as follows. Our mission is to work with others to support the personal, social and educational development of all children through the application of psychological theory and practice in education having particular regard for children with special educational needs. And actually, unlike a lot of Department of Education agencies, it actually does that. I, it kind of, I don't know why I sound so surprised, but um, it's one of the few agencies that actually do what they're supposed to do. And it might be worth saying a few other things about NEPS, just to get a bit of a context of how it works. And, and I mean, actually, you know, of, of all the models that are out there, um, might be interesting just to hear what they do. Effectively, there's NEPS is a national service and it's divided into 10 regions, roughly corresponding to the to the health board regions, the HSC kind of things. It's school-based, which is really, really interesting. The service is actually based in schools to both primary and actually post-primary schools and referrals are prioritised at school level. So actually the schools um, are able to refer onto NEPS. That's very interesting as well through a consultative process. So you don't actually just ring and say, I want an assessment or whatever it might be. Um, you would... Uh, you, if you had a, a sort of a worry or you might have a concern about a, a child, you'd follow uh, something called the continuum of support. Now, I'm not going to explain what the continuum of support is uh, be, uh, because I'd imagine if you work in a school, you'll know what it is. And if, you, um, if you're not affected by it, you probably don't need to know what it is. But basically, it's a, it's a continuum to, um, for a, a process for schools to uh, decide uh, how a child would receive extra supports if they need to um, in, in a class. But uh, the NEP psychologist comes in around the school support plus stage of that program and before any assessments are agreed upon uh, there's a lot of consultation and uh, it's very it's a very very useful um, process uh, when an assessment is actually deemed necessary because sometimes that happens following it NEP psychologist comes to the school again it's really important they actually come to the school setting and generally carries it out in that school now I think this is really really important unlike um, the HSC uh, for example where families actually have to go to them and that could be I mean, well that might not sound like a mad thing where you'd have to go to your local 
uh, HSC office, there are some families that find that extremely difficult and extremely intimidating. Schools are actually a really wonderful place for these to happen. It's a place where they are used to being. The child is used to being there. The parents have a relationship already. It's not that this kind of sterile, well, I'm not saying all HSC behaviors are sterile because they're not all in the hospitals, but they're, 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 they're not places you would normally be. And I think it's really important because it creates that nice sense uh, of familiarity. And it's also interesting to say that, that they say in their documentation that NEPS believes that by focusing more on the adults that support children every day, that is teachers and parents, um, that psychologists are actually going to be able to reach out to far more children and thus be more effective in removing obstacles to learning. So apart from all the assessments, they actually do other stuff. Uh, I think uh, that's important as well to note from NEPS because again, it's very, very important to get some sort of a context of what NEPS actually do because um, many people just associate NEPS with giving assessments. They actually work on school policies and procedures. Uh, they do advisory work, including in-service work, so they give training to teachers in schools. Uh, they advise on appraisal of students' needs. They advise on classroom strategies and resources. So if you're having a little bit of trouble uh, in your classroom, they can come into a classroom and talk to the teacher about their strategies and any resource they might need. They work with parents or students, which is very good. And they also do research and development work. And they've, um, like, for example, one of the more recent uh, documents, which I think is absolutely superb, is a balanced approach to literacy development in the early years. And it's about a million, it's a million times better than the actual literacy curriculum that was developed by the NCCA. It's a really common sense approach to literacy development. And uh, actually, to be honest with you, I think, you know, you'd nearly be better off following that program, the actual curriculum documents that were made. Um, but there you are. Anyway, in this episode, I'm going to argue that we need NEPS to extend its remit and basically replace a number of other quangos that are there. I'll argue that NEPS, if it was better resourced, could effectively take over a number of agencies that are simply not working. So that is the context of this podcast, a little bit shorter than last week's, I hope. Um, and I uh, hope you enjoy what you hear. And please, if you agree with me, let me know. But more importantly, if you disagree with me, I would love to hear from you. Um, over the last number of years, the government have basically been slowly but surely cutting resources from children with special educational needs or additional needs. Um, in 2011, they uh, cut the resource teacher for travellers by 87%. I thought 100%, but 87%. They cut the, uh, the the visiting teacher for the deaf, the visiting teacher for the blind. In 2012, there was a 15% cut to resource hours, which has still never come back. And basically from 2008 to 2016, they, uh, the Department of Education through the NCSE have added restrictions uh, basically to get access to special needs assistance and even um, even after uh, the recession has passed they are still cutting and their latest plan looks like it's continuing that when they're looking at the new model for special uh, for uh, special needs assistance. In 2018, the Department of Education have made it even more difficult for our youngest pupils to be assessed by the HSC if they need it. We got a letter in school saying the assessment need up basically up until up until this year, the assessment need was up until it was a right for every child under the age of five. And basically, we got a letter earlier earlier uh, in uh, sometime in 2018, and it isn't now. That's it. A letter was sent to all schools, and that was it. It's no longer an entitlement. And rather, so I'd suggest rather than fighting against this, because, you know, the government are going to cut all this, uh, are going to do everything they can. I actually think it would be better to expand NEPS to be the first port of call for any child in primary school. And any child could be referred to NEPS by the school. And there would be a guarantee following some sort of screening. So again, that consultation that the child would be seen within a very short period of time. I think four to six weeks is pretty reasonable. Uh, but preferably a little earlier than that. But I do think four to six weeks is fair enough. NEPS could then just work their magic. Now, last week we um, 
we discussed or I discussed how they could effectively replace the NCSE. And I just want to remind you, just to remind yourselves how that process would work. So get rid of NCSE. So what will happen is a child gets referred to NEPS and is assessed. Um, and basically the NEPS psychologist might recommend um, SNA access if needs be. And when I say access, I actually mean access, not just the word access. Um, support hours as well, any resource hours or, or uh, special uh, SET hours as they're known now. And there'd be no need for wait for them because basically you would just get them straight away. There would be no need to go through some uh, rigmarole uh, of uh, uh, um, like you do these days. Um, now, I got some arguments there that schools would be over-resourced um, if we if we had a system like this, uh, which which if you really think about it is is number one, it's not true. Um, it's not necessarily true at all. Um, because you know if a psychologist believes a child needs a particular amount of resourcing, then that should just be enough. I mean, th th there's no real need um, to. Uh, there's, I don't see any reason why that can't be true. But even if it is, it's actually not a bad thing to be over uh, to be slightly over resourced. I don't think anyone's going to be terribly over resourced. Um, what 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 wouldn't wouldn't be nice for children to have more help from teachers? I I can't see, and because it won't be it won't be that much more expensive. At the moment, we're under resourced and we're struggling. But if we put the money in now, surely that's that's going to be a positive. Anyway, remember, if we extend NEPS into some sort of Medmark-style screening system, like the, I suggested uh, last week, NEPS would be the only way a child would receive resources. So there'd be no private assessments and things like that. NEPS would be the ones that would decide. It would simplify things so quickly. Um, right now, psychological reports are routinely ignored by the NCSE. So it really actually makes no difference um, anyway. So if I got a private assessment or a public assessment, it actually makes no difference because the NCSE are just totally ignoring them. Anyway, let's look at some other ways uh, the NEPS could uh, get involved. Um, one way they could do it is they could recommend any educational supports and also refer to other services uh, such as occupational therapy, speech and language therapy, dietary. Yeah, I mean, this this is actually supposed to happen right now, but it generally actually starts with the HSE. Uh, so they're the ones like if I uh, when we refer on or if, sorry, if a family get uh, finally get into the HSE uh, to get a, an assessment, the first thing that will happen is the HSE will write to the school saying, oh, you'll need NEPS. So why not just start with NEPS and then NEPS refer on to the HSE rather than the other way around? I think that would make more sense. Um, I'd also suggest how, how about they might move into preschool territory? I, I don't understand why they might need just to start at primary school. Why not move into the preschool uh, territory and replace um, a very good system? I don't want them to actually um, replace some, this because it's not working. The AIM, the AIMS um, model, which is access and inclusion model. And basically what we would do is it would ensure there'd be progression between preschool and primary school because right now there is no progression between preschool and primary school when it comes to additional needs. Um, We'll just look at all this in action for a primary school and, and how it is now and what would happen if we swapped it for a NEPS-led system. I'll come back to the uh, the AIMS uh, model there in a second. Okay, um, here's the example. Um, and actually I will, I'll use a, a preschool example. It, may, it, may, it makes sense to carry on doing that. So the two-year-old starts in preschool um, she's showing signs of atypical behaviour um, and the preschool's basically get aims they, they call aims and support is given um a parent the parent goes to a psychologist to get assessed the child's assessed and they recommend an sna um 
full-time. So two things have happened. Uh, Ames have basically, you don't need a diagnosis for Ames, by the way, just Ames have decided, yeah, yeah, this, this child needs absolute support that goes to straight to level seven. Uh, so they get full-time one-to-one support. But the parent knows that because the child will go to primary school, that's not going to be enough. They need a diagnosis. And no matter what uh, the NCSC say, you do need a diagnosis to get a SNA support. So there is a recommendation for an, a full-time SNA. I'm surprised this child would have uh, significant needs. So the child goes to the primary school and there's no SNA. Why not? Because there's no passing over of what happens in preschool to the uh, to the primary school, except in exceptional circumstances. Now, I won't go over last week's episode, but I went through a, a, a situation and why that is. What this teacher has to do, knowing that this is not going to work, is a six-week classroom support plan, a six-week school support plan, uh, which both of which won't work. So you're already going into October. Uh, you're already October 8, 9, 10, uh, 11 weeks in and... Lots and lots and lots of um, paperwork knowing that what you're doing isn't going to work. And eventually a CNO will arrive uh, in January, given that the psychological report ticks all the boxes. The child will likely um, will have uh, have suffered enough, really. I mean, they're, they're, they'll likely be on a shortened day because there's no way a child can move from a one-to-one highly um, supported uh, situation to going, being dumped into a into a situation where there's 30 children in a room and no support whatsoever. The parents are probably going to blame the school because, you know, because the NCSE basically tell them, oh, it's the school, the school should allocate the resources appropriately. So we've already got a tense relationship going on with the parents and the and the school. And maybe the, the maybe the CNO will grant SNA access, which is very unlikely. Um, and even if the child gets the SNA, it's unlikely to be full time, especially if another child has SNA access in the class. In, in other words, the whole thing is a total mess. Now, right now, I mean, you can see how messy that is. Let's move to a system with NEPs. Now, I know I'm being idealistic. You know, you, it's easy to say what now is because you can see it. But let's look at a, a simple version of what NEPs. Two year old starts preschool. Same two year old. Also showing signs of atypical behaviour. So far, so the same. The preschool talks to parents and there's a general agreement, yes, that basically we need to um, involve NEPS. So NEPS is now what AIMS would, what is, I suppose. And they follow a kind of a continuum of support in a way with NEPS. So in consultation to, with NEPS, they um, they decide after a little, a little, a short while that um, a visit is needed. And yes, the child needs extra support and give similar levels to what Ames would have uh, would have given. And this is put in place. So a full time one to one um, support. Now, just before primary school, NEPS re-reviews because I think that's important. You're moving from one context to the next. You're in a big transition. And yes, recommends a placement of the prim- in, in, a prim- in a primary classroom in a mainstream setting, but with similar supports, a one to one uh, uh, one-to-one support or maybe a specialized setting for example a special school or maybe it could be a special class for whatever let's say the child had uh, a diagnosis of autism so maybe a special class um, for children with autism so but anyway let's say the, the parent says look mainstream with an SNA full-time NEPS then works with the school um, putting in programs uh, before the, uh, the child starts uh, to ensure um, that their recommendations are followed through from preschool to primary school and basically the child arrives in primary school with their um, SNA support and the situation is reviewed every couple of years. Done. I mean, I'm not saying it will all be rosy, but it should be as simple as that. The child, if a child has one-to-one support in preschool, it naturally should follow unless there's been massive changes to go into primary school and rarely are there significant changes uh, for that to, um, to happen. It, it, 
the, the, the whole process requires much fewer people. There's effectively a psychologist who knows that child from almost at the time they enter the early years setting all the way through their education and there's no red tape involved. It's really easy. It's simple. Let's just look at maybe another example. There's a child who isn't really exhibiting any particularly um, atypical behaviours in preschool but by second class, so we're moving up to around uh, eight years of old, the school can see that he's struggling badly with his reading. He's not, you know, that something's not clicking. So again, we use a continuum of support. So a classroom support plan is put in place, a school support plan is put in place and, and the child is just not reaching their targets. There's no care needs, there's no behavioural needs, just it's reading. They call NEPS. NEPS consults, reviews, and then decides after a while, yeah, I think that we might need to assess that there, must, there might be something going on here. And they do discover in the end that possibly there's a specific learning difficulty, maybe called dyslexia, and recommends some support for a number of hours per week there's no need for any rigmarole. There's just, that's just it. Let's look at what happens right now if in the same context. Second class child. We're struggling badly with reading. You, um, you might get the NEPS as an assessment. NEPS assessment comes in. They may recommend the learning support hours of a week. Um, you, um, well, there's no system. You're basically, you're basically snookered. <laughs> Do you know? You're good. You're, right now, because resources are front loaded at the start of the year, that child gets nothing effectively. And it's very unlikely if, they, uh, if they're in the middle of this two year cycle, it's very unlikely that it will change. In fact, it doesn't seem like it matters what kind of needs the, child, the children in your school have. You may just have a particularly um, turbulent time in your school where you have a number of needs and your resources that you're currently allocated are just not gonna cover them. Um, and that's and, but the department don't care it's all based on criteria that don't really think of the actual child so what what i'm suggesting is if neps gets to know this child from whatever age they enter the system they follow them all the way through and it simplifies things and it's actually much more child-centered i'm going to give another example similarly no concerns in preschool but this child is starting to struggle in primary school okay so the child seemed grand. I mean, a little bit, you know, a little bit immature, maybe a little bit, a little bit playful, but, you know, very, very happy enough in, in, in the preschool setting, loves playing, loves uh, all that sort of stuff. Um, but it seems pretty clear within a, a few weeks of uh, primary school that this, this child is not making that transition at all. Um, they're running around the classroom, they're um, crawling under uh, crawling under tables, running into the toilet, jumping up and down, not able to listen to any instruction, just running out, running out of the room, just just kind of, you know, behaviours like that. I mean, I'd say most teachers will, 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 will have uh, experienced that if they've ever been in infant class. And the teacher would kind of meet parents and might say listen i think there's something going on here i don't know what it is but look the, the child really isn't isn't settling here um and uh, after a chat to the preschool they uh, they might say oh right okay you know they're they're maybe maybe the you know because it's uh, obviously more child-led in, in terms of what they could they can choose to do all day um it, it might have been a bit but easier but primary school is a different a different experience there's, there's an expectation of sitting down for some time uh, yes there's play led le playful learning and all that sort of stuff but it is different um but 
it comes down to it that we um the the the, the suggestion of a, of an assessment comes up but um the parents decide oh no we 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 don't want to go there and actually what happens then is you're stuck you're actually stuck and your the school only has two options you suck it up or you go through the disciplinary process with the child and nobody wants to go there and that's a very very difficult place to be okay so what would happen with neps you know with neps you'd 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 have the option while while a parent may not wish to go for an assessment neps can also do consult consultations with parents with the teacher so they could actually talk to each other and actually give give some rationale behind where it is and maybe there's a little bit uh, a little bit more leeway then for the parent to say okay actually fair enough you know i do i see where you're coming from this is a psychologist i can trust uh what a psychologist an educational psychologist would say i'm not saying they don't trust teachers but you know an educational psychologist would be able to um well has, has particular qualifications that give them uh the, those um those skills that we may not have as, as as teachers to basically um listen to uh, the teacher listen to the parent and maybe suggest um, different ideas and eventually lead to a point where an assessment may be needed but what I'm saying is there isn't a full stop there's always this this um, I suppose a journey that the child will always have the net psychologist around that uh, will follow them through education when they or their parents may be ready for that journey you see the great thing about this really is its simplicity you know NEPS is actually I mean, while it's part of the Department of Education, it's pretty independent. Um, it gives consistent resourcing and feedback. Um, so, I mean, that's all that's all done. You know, if you know, it's 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 completely consistent. Um, if it was resourced properly, um, they could they could do more of it. You know, you now you're you're kind of trying to grab as much uh, nap time as you possibly can. But if there was if there was more of more of the service available so there you know I can't, I'm not naive to think that every school would have one NEP psychologist it would be lovely uh, there's lots of schools uh, in um, in other countries where there is a school psychologist but you know given where we are I don't expect that to happen but if there was an increased um, number you uh, it's very likely that schools would be able to access them um, as much as was, uh, would be needed I mean it's not that every single child needs to access an EP psychologist but you're talking maybe 5-10% to 10 of children um and basically to offset that increased cost because obviously it costs to have neps we can just i i actually believe we could lose all of the ncse we don't need it we could also lose the aim model even though there'd be no harm in actually replicating their model um i, I i'm not saying i get rid of aim because it doesn't work it just makes sense that neps would move into the preschool uh, movement just for those of you who don't know what the um aims model looks like i think it's a it might be important it's a seven stage model um to uh support um access in the ecce program for children with uh, disabilities and um, it moves from stage one which is basically um creating uh, different cultures and an inclusive culture it moves up to give information to prevent parents and providers um it then um stage three is about qualifications and so on and it moves all the way up to more and more and more support all the way up to seven uh stage seven where additional assistance is given in the preschool room so an extra staff member is granted now I mean, I think I think that's a reasonably good model, actually. That that NEPS might rob, um, in a way, like because it's quite quite good. Um, but um, 
I, I don't see the, the I don't see the reason why preschool and primary school uh, have to be separate. There's there's really no reason. It's all education all the way from zero upwards. And I think that's the move the Department of Education want to get into anyway. It seems it seems to make sense for them to do that. Um, I've given you a good few examples there, and um, I mean I hope they uh, they're they're they they give an idea of what what would a world with NEPs look like versus what's happening now. I, I I honestly think it could vastly improve the assessment of need model. You know, um, and I, and I thought um, I've, I've said that just earlier on that rather than the assessment of need being a starting point, I actually believe that NEPs the NEP psychologist would be a best bet as a starting point, following a child all the way from preschool all the way up and linking in with health services rather than the other way around because that's how it's working. Look. At the moment, the world of additional needs has too many branches and needs to be to and it, and it, uh, and it just needs to be paired back. It's like an unwieldy uh, bush that probably started off with simple intentions, but because of um, different um, reasons, it has grown all these branches and sub branches, and it's just a big tangle of uh, of ineffective bureaucracy now. And NEPS is just one of those very few services within it that actually works well for children with additional needs. It it is a it's, it's one of the bright shining lights. The other one I, I that that comes to mind is the SESS, which has actually been incorporated in the NCSE. I just feel it needs another mention there. I've mentioned it before in another podcast, and it's actually and actually NEPS's model works reasonably well too. I actually think it's a good model. Um, I, I may not have liked it initially because some of the work they used to do was passed on to schools but I actually think the work that was passed on to schools in fairness is um, is actually reasonable it, it makes a lot of sense um, and it, it, in fairness when I usually when that happens it's to, it's to add a buffer but in this case it actually gives us three steps um, to um, before you contact uh, NEPS something within the classroom something using your support team and then you know, go to your outside agency. And I would suggest that outside agency would be NEPS every time. Um, you know, so I, I think that's um, I think that's that's very important. Uh, and naturally, I suppose, because it works so well, naturally because it's so good, it got severely cut in the recession and it still doesn't have anywhere near enough of the resources to do its job. However, rather than simply adding more NEPS psychologists, because I think that's what's happening now. I mean, I think the Department of Education added 10 NEPS psychologists or they're intending to add 10 uh, NEPS psychologists in 2019. They'll probably keep doing that maybe. In order to simplify things, we actually need to focus on them more and lose the other quangos and services that spend more time creating complex systems in order to allocate resources. It would actually work out cheaper not only in the long run, but actually also in the short run. The NCSE receives masses, masses of money, which would be better, I believe, diverted to an extended NEP service that would ensure that all students with additional needs would have the services they actually require, based on a child-centred model, not some front-loaded basis based on some statistical data um, and standardised test results and stuff like that. I think... If I were the Minister for Education, I would be giving NEPS all my money for uh, for children, for diagnosing, assessing and working with children with additional needs. And um, I wonder what you might think of that too. Please send me your thoughts. Um, I know it's a simple and shorter um, podcast this week. You'd probably be glad that it's a shorter podcast. Um, but I'd be very, very interested in hearing your thoughts on it. So thanks for that. We'll next we'll talk about what's happening on next week's show. For whatever reason, people seem to think that 
pluralism and patronage go hand in hand. Uh, perhaps it's the alliteration of the P's that make them think that. I don't know. But while pluralism is a great idea for society, that I'm all for pluralism in society, it's definitely not a good model for an education system, as we have seen in our news story at the beginning of the podcast, where people are spreading all sorts of malicious and malignant rumours, I'm a fan of alliteration too, um, around what would happen if a, a religious school divested to a non-religious model. Pluralism and patronage makes the system complex and creates unnecessary divisions. In next week's episode, I'll be arguing that choice is not always a good thing and we need to scrap the patronage model. I'll see you next time. Thanks a million.